Active Church, how are you? So great to see you. Hey, my name is Mike, this is Jessica, and we're honored that you're here at Active Church with us. Hey, before we dive into the story of God, I, I want to tell you a little story about my friend Jessica. About uh, four or five years ago, she walked into our Redlands location, and God did an incredible work in her and through her. And so because of that incredible work, we identified her as the next youth pastor. And in 2020, January of 2020, she started here at Active Church. And little did she know what was going to happen in 2020. And if you aren't aware of what happened in 2020, where have you been? It was the COVID pandemic. And so immediately, Jess had to pivot and do youth group online. And it became a really incredible opportunity to meet and interact with our students. And since then, she's created a really great environment for our students on Tuesday night and for our young adults on Thursday night. About a month and a half ago, she came to Pastor Joe and I, and she shared about a dream that she has had uh, for a job. And it was something that has been stirring in her heart for many, many years. And she got a job offer to do exactly that. And so through a lot of tears and a lot of anger, no, no, no anger, no anger, but through a lot of tears uh, and, and a lot of conversation, she really felt like this was the season for her to step off our team here at Active Church and to do that position. And so she's going to share a little bit about it in just a moment. But friends, can we just say with an applause and with cheers, thank you to Pastor Jess for the four years that she has served us so well. Man, this is like that, the when they sing the birthday song to you moment. <laughs> Man, friends, it, um, it still feels very surreal that this is happening. Um, my heart and passion has always been for this next generation. Um, and I didn't know where that was going to lead me. And somehow it led me into a church in the city of Ukaipa that I didn't even know was a city. Like, I didn't know this place was a thing, you know? And so I, I was led here. And, and what an incredible four years that we've had. Like, I, I, I don't even think I can do it justice by putting it into words at what God has done through my heart and my life, but also what we have seen in the lives of students. And so um, this next job that I'm stepping into is something called, it's a nonprofit called The Joy Company. And what we do is we are in the schools, the high schools of San Bernardino, and we do something called leadership clubs. And what it is is we're teaching students who a lot of times are overlooked and pushed away and um, really are the ones who are kind of taken off the streets and we're teaching them what it's like to lead well in their lives. Not only lead well in their lives, but lead well in their community. How we, we show them you have a voice and, and your voice can make a difference and that difference can change the world. And so this whole better story that we talk about here, well, all I'm doing is I'm taking that into the campuses of, of San Bernardino and teaching students that there is a better story for them. And so honestly, Active, thank you. Thank you for, for genuinely showing me that we can open the doors and we can set the table and, and we can pull out the chair for anyone and everyone to meet and follow Jesus. And, and now students who were once overlooked and now students who were once pushed out to the streets are going to have a space and a place to know that their voice matters and their story should and can be told. So I'm, I'm really excited for what God is doing, um, not only in, in mine and my husband's life, but um, what God is going to do through the schools of San Bernardino. Hmm. Girl can preach, right? (laughs) 
Uh, this isn't Jess's last official day. She'll be with us until the middle of November. And we have a plan. We have a really great person that we're going to be bringing on our team. We'll introduce you to them in just a few weeks. But our team has some balloons and some flowers for you, Jess. Stop would you guys it. come up? And wow. I, I would love to just pray some words over Jess. And so if you guys, would you guys gather around Jess? And if you would just reach out a hand as a way of saying, hey, we're, we're praying for you, Jess. And let's just take a moment and honor her. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jess and for the life that she has and the story that she's telling. Thank you for the way that she loves you and loves us. Thank you for her marriage. Thank you for her influence. Thank you for her leadership. God, I pray that you would carry her in this next season in a really tangible and specific way. Be her joy, be her strength, be her courage. God, thank you for who she is and who she's becoming. We are honored to know her and honored to call her a friend. And we are honored to send her out. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, one more time. Can we thank Jess? Thank you, guys. I hate when people leave. I hate that. I hate it. I want them to be here forever, or at least until I'm gone, right? Like, that's what I want, right? And then Jess had to go and violate that. Uh, so we'll still love her, I guess, right? Hey, I'm so, I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful for our team because I really do feel like they are, are friends of mine. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for being a part of Active, whether this is your very first time, we're honored that you're here. And if you've been here a really long time, we're still honored that you're here. And I'm honored to call you a friend. This last few months, I've really been thankful also for my family. I feel like I've hit the jackpot with my wife and with my kids. And I'm not just saying that because she's in the front row, but I actually, I actually mean that and maybe a little bit because she's in the front row, but I actually really mean that. My, my youngest, Riley, is not only just an incredible human, but in the last few years, she has been learning how to become a better baker, and she's learned from her mom. And she has been taking recipes that she has found online, and she's experimenting and baking them, like making desserts. And then we, as a family, get to be the guinea pigs. We get to try it out, right? And so Riley is really helping me to work on this dad bod. And I feel like I'm almost there. Like, I feel like I'm achieving that. Some of you are like, I'm going to the gym every day. And I'm like, you know what I'm doing? I'm eating cake and I'm eating cookies and I'm eating all of those things. And it's fantastic. And, and now I have to go to the doctor and get my cholesterol checked pretty often. But other than that, everything's great. When Riley first started doing this, though, she came to me one night after she made what it is that she made, and she said, Dad, do you want to try this? And I said, no. And the look on her face was just incredible disappointment. And she was like, why would you say no? Don't you trust me? And I said, of course I trust you. And she goes, well, then you know that it's going to be good, so you should try it. And I said, well, the name that you gave me didn't sound like it was going to be really good, and so I'm not sure about that. And she said, Dad, don't you trust me? And I said, yes, I do. And she goes, so then you need to say yes and try it. And so I did. And I realized I should have said yes in the first place because what she made was delicious. And ever since then, she won't even ask me if I'm going to try something. She'll just bring it to me because in her mind, it's an obvious yes, because I should trust her. This is going to obviously be good. And every time she's made me something, it's been really good. In fact, the other night she came and said, Dad, do you want some apple nachos? And I said, yes. And I don't even know what they are, right? 
Found out they're cut up apples with all, all sorts of goodness on it, high in calories, but very heavenly. Like it was, it was magnificent. It was so, so good. And what Riley taught me in that moment is I should just trust her. I should trust her because what she's making is really, really good. And there's a life lesson in that, not just in eating dessert that your kid makes for you, but the life lesson goes beyond that, right? That just because something that's in front of you seems like an obvious yes doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to say yes to it. And just because something in front of you is good doesn't mean that we're going to say yes to the good. And just because when it comes to God, he's inviting us into hope doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to say yes to hope. Why is that? Why are we hesitant? What keeps us from moving in the direction that God is inviting us to move? I want to talk about that today. But first, uh, let's reset our conversation from the last couple of weeks. We've been in a series called Hope is a Superpower. And we've been talking about how the hope of the world can be the hope in your world and in my world. And what we've discovered is that hope is a beautiful story to tell. And it's a beautiful invitation from God. And we learned in week one, we answered this question, what is hope? And we learned that hope is placing our confidence in God. That you and I can be confident in God because he's defeated death in the grave. That a resurrection has happened. And where else should we turn when things are hard and when things are heavy? Who else are we going to turn to? Nobody else has defeated death in the grave. Nobody else has offered us forgiveness and freedom and salvation. And so even though we believe that God could have kept the thing that we're turning to him from happening, we're even going to turn to him after that thing because we're confident in God. That's what hope is. It's placing your confidence in Almighty God. And then last week we answered this question, who needs hope? And we discovered that you do and that I do because hope is, is living in certainty when there is uncertainty. That's what hope does. It brings certainty when things are uncertain. And boy, do we live in a lot of uncertainty, personally in our world and in the world. And we need hope. You need hope. And I need hope. It isn't for someone else. It's for us. And then those of us that have hope, we have an opportunity when there is uncertainty to give it away. Which brings us to our conversation today. And the question that we're going to wrestle with is how do we, how do we get hope? How do we get it? How do we get it in our hands and in our hearts? And the answer to that question is found in a second question. And the second question, might, it might seem really obvious, but it's a question we have to ask ourselves. And it's this, do you want hope? Now it seems obvious that you would say yes to that. But just because it's obvious doesn't necessarily mean you'll say yes. Just because it's a good thing doesn't mean you'll say yes to the good thing. And just because God is inviting you into hope doesn't necessarily mean you'll say yes to that invitation to receive hope. So, so do you want hope? Th- this is a question that Jesus asked somebody in real life, in real time, as he was walking this planet. He asked this question of a man in desperate need of hope. And this man's answer it might surprise you. It might surprise you so much so that you'll find that his answer matches your answer. And what seems so obvious is not something that he necessarily will say yes to, and neither would you. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to John's letter in the New Testament, John 
We're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 5, verse 1. Here's some context as you're turning there. And if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can use that. And of course, we'll have the verses on the screen. But here's some context for you. John is telling a story, a true story of Jesus and his interaction with a, a specific individual. And he takes us to a place where there's a pool in Jerusalem. And there's a lot of people that are hanging out at this pool. And they're hanging out at this pool because they believed that when the water was stirred, that if you got into the water first, then whatever it is that you're struggling with, you would be healed. And so there were people that couldn't see, there were people that couldn't speak, there were people that couldn't walk, there were people that were dealing with physical issues that you may not see, mental issues that you may not be aware of, and they would gather around this pool, and their belief was that an angel of God would stir the water, and when the angel of God stirred the water, they would race to the water to try to get in first, and the one who got in first would get healed. So it was, it was almost like it was a race of hopelessness. Because only one of the hundreds of people would find healing. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking at this time? Can you imagine how confusing it would have been, like, if you didn't get in the water first? Like, when will you be able to get into the water? When will God actually heal me? Because they believed that God was a healer. Imagine the anxiety that they felt when the water started stirring. Maybe they how much anger asked out loud and maybe even asked privately. Excavators, generations later, when they were excavating the pool of Bethesda, that's where this pool is in Jerusalem, they found that there was a natural hot spring underneath the pool. And so the belief was that this hot spring was what was stirring the water. A hot spring that would make the water good for skin and for your body. In fact, they found minerals in the water at this pool that would help with dry skin. It would help with your body. It had healing properties in it. And that's why the people wanted to get into the water because they wanted to be healed. So knowing the context, knowing what we're about to enter into, John tells us the story about Jesus and these people, and specifically one individual who's at this pool. And we read in John chapter 5, verse 1, these words. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the water, the first into the pool after, such after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. John isn't affirming that this is actually what is taking place. Like, this is God, this is an angel of God that's stirring the water. John is just addressing what the belief was during that time. So don't be confused on to why would God heal that way? John isn't saying God is healing that way. He's saying people have found healing in that way. And he's addressing what the belief was because when the water was stirred, they believed, they connected it to Almighty God. And in verse 5, we read, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Can we talk about that man for a moment? Like, like this guy had been in this situation for a really long time. This wasn't a recent event for him. This was an everyday reality for him. For 38 years, he had 
able or at least been struggling with needing healing and being able to walk. What we're not told is where his family is. What we're not told is where he lived. Maybe he did just spend the night next to this pool, hoping that when the water was stirred, he was quick enough to get into the water first. We're not told about much. All we're told is that he has been there for 38 years. He's been this way for 38 years. And what we know in history is that a lot of the people would just hang out by this pool, hoping to be the first to get into the water. And then John writes something really interesting, even fascinating. John writes these words in verse 6. When Jesus saw him, this man lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a really long time, he was interested in this person. I find it really fascinating, interesting, that this guy caught the attention of Jesus. There was a lot of people there, but this guy for some reason, caught the attention of our Savior, of Jesus. And he does what I think we would expect Jesus to do. He asks about this guy. And it wasn't a random interaction, like he was just eeny, meeny, miny, mowing it, and then, like, I guess I'll just figure out who this guy is. Jesus noticed him and began to ask questions about him. It was an intentional pause of Jesus, and I love how John teaches us, just in this story, how personal Jesus is, and and John would know, because John spent three years on this planet with Jesus, living with Jesus, eating with Jesus, walking with Jesus, watching Jesus, listening to what Jesus had to say. And so what John is telling us in this moment is something that he experienced in almost every moment. So Jesus really is because he performed our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That Jesus would carry that. And so John, when he says that Jesus is personal, he means it. But this isn't a new idea. This is something that has been a part of God's story since the beginning that we know of when we read the scriptures. The writer of Proverbs talks about God in a really thoughtful way. Proverbs 15, 13 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and on the good. Notice that God has always been personal. And notice that the writer of Proverbs is saying that nobody's left out. He mentions the good are included. And he also mentions that the not so good are included. So there's hope for you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there's hope for us, right? Because God sees and knows and cares about each person intimately and personally. And Jesus models this for us. And he learns about this guy. And once he learns about this guy, he asks him the question. The question that I asked earlier, he asked this guy a version of that question. In verse 6 we read, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now before we get an answer and before we enter into the next part of the story, I think for a lot of us, we might have a bit of a mental argument with Jesus in this moment. Because Jesus has just learned about this guy and learned that for 38 years he's been laying by this pool. And the reason why he's by this pool is because he wants to get healing. That's why he's there. And so Jesus, with all due respect, duh, he wants to be healed. 
Why do you think that he's been here for as long as he's been here? This is how I would see the story, and maybe it's how you would see the story, but I I love that Jesus asked this question because it's really a reflection of the brilliance of Jesus because he's looking for an answer to this question because it reveals something about this man's heart and ultimately I think it reveals something about all humanity. He asked him, "Do do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Do you want hope? And the reason why he's asking that question and the reason why he would ask you the same question It's because he wants you to know what it is that you want to do. And if we could just be really, really honest, I think for a lot of us, when it comes to stepping into something good or when it comes to receiving the hope that God is inviting us into, sometimes for us, it's easier to stay sick than it is to get well. Maybe a better way to put it is this. Sometimes we're more comfortable with how it is than how it can be. And this is why Jesus is asking that question. Do you want to stay here? Because it's easier? Do you want to stay here? Because it's comfortable? Do you want to stay here? Because this is all you've ever known? You and I, we know that this is true of humanity. That for a lot of us, it's easier to stay sick than it is to get well. For a lot of us, it's easier to just accept how it is than to have an opportunity to step into what could be or what can be. And the reason why we know this is because we have someone in our life that we're watching and we're loving and they're doing exactly that. And we're wondering, like, why won't they get help? Why won't they do something? Why won't they talk to someone? And you also know that this is true of humanity. Because if we're going to be real with ourselves, and real with God, and real with each other this morning, the thing that you'll acknowledge in other people, perhaps is the very thing that you're doing in your life as well. And that other people are seeing you do the very thing that they're doing in their life. Choosing to settle. Choosing to stay sick. Choosing what is comfortable over what might be courageous. So I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to consider this question. But here's a question for you to process this morning. What is it right now that you are refusing to deal with? When it comes up, you don't talk about it. If someone mentions it, you tell them that we don't talk about it. You've gone to therapy and counseling, and when it comes up, you pivot the conversation. You know what it is. You may not know the depth of it, but you know what it is. And the truth is, is that those that love you and want what's best for you, they're watching you and they know what it is too. It's why maybe your child or your spouse or your friend addressed it with you and you shut them down. 
because it's easier to stay sick than it is to get well. It's easier to live in what is than what can be or what could be. And if I could just be really honest with you, I, I love this moment in this story with Jesus, and I also hate this moment in this story with Jesus. I love it for one major reason, that Jesus never forces you or forces me into a decision that we are unwilling to make. That you and I have the ability to say yes and to say no. And if, if I could just be really straight with you, like honest with you, this is why it's so important that when we are inviting people to follow Jesus, we're not threatening them with something, but we're inviting them into a relationship with someone. The scriptures talk about the reality of hell. And Christians will use the reality of hell as a threat to get people into heaven. Jesus never did that. And he did talk about the reality of hell. And never once does Jesus threaten somebody with that reality in order to get them to follow him. What Jesus did is what Paul summarized in his letter of Romans. He said it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Could I just say to you, and this is just Mike Frisch's personal opinion, that if we're threatened into following Jesus, we haven't decided to follow Jesus. We've decided to run from whatever the threat is. And this is why I love Jesus. Because he has invited me and you to follow him. And before he invited us, he died for us. And before he invited us, he resurrected from the grave for us. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's why Jesus never, ever forces us into a decision that we are unwilling to make. It's why I love this. Here's why I hate it. Because I don't always make the best decisions. How about you? We don't always make the best decisions. Hey, would you like to live in forgiveness and freedom and hope and unconditional love and grace that's never ending and have life right now with purpose and life after this life? I mean, we, we laugh at that, right? But this is what Almighty God is inviting us into in a relationship with Jesus. And yet we hesitate. And maybe it's because we enjoy being sick more than the possibility of getting well. We enjoy what we have created more than enjoying what God has created for us. It's why confession is so important. It's why repentance matters. And it's why the invitation of Jesus is powerful. So he asks this man this question. And I want to ask you, 
and I don't want you to answer it out loud. I just want you to consider this question. Do you want to get well? Here's the guy's response. Simple question. Listen to how convoluted his answer is. His response in verse seven. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. It's telling, isn't it? And perhaps Jesus could have said, that's not what I asked you. But I think that what this man says and how he responds is also a reflection of what happens in our life. For, for this guy, his excuse is, I don't have someone to help me get into the water. Or in other words, this is really hard, Jesus. It's really exhausting, Jesus. And, and while we're at it, Jesus, it's not fair. It's not fair that I'm here and that they aren't here. It's not fair that I have to deal with this and they have to deal with it. It's not fair because I've been a good person and they haven't been a good person. It's not fair, Jesus. You ever been there? You there now? This, this man and his response, I think, is a reflection of our response. And, and I think that he's scared for what's on the other side of his yes. I mean, why wouldn't we want hope? And why wouldn't we want healing? And why wouldn't we want to get well? Maybe because it's hard. And maybe we have to admit some things to ourselves that we are unwilling to admit to. Isn't it true that getting well is a choice? And it's a choice that only you can make, that someone can't make for you? There are people around you that want to make it for you. We call them mom and dad. <laughs> we call them our rooted leaders. We call them our friends. We call them our accountability partners. They want to make that decision for you, but they respect you and they honor you because getting well is your choice, not theirs. And if you're really going to get well, you need to make the decision. They can't make it for you. They can give you all the tools and all the love and all the leadership and all the encouragement, but you have to make the decision. And I get it's hard. And I get that it's new. Some of you who have shown up to church for the very first time today, I'm proud of you. And I don't even know you. But I'm proud of you because that was a courageous decision. Because maybe perhaps you're at a place where you're like, I can't do what I'm doing anymore. I need to do something new. And that's this invitation for this man. And what we've learned over the last few weeks as we've talked about hope is that alongside hope is uncertainty. And hope brings certainty in uncertainty. But a piece of that uncertainty that we all wrestle with is, well, what if I say yes? And then what happens? What if I say yes and life is hard? What if I say yes and there isn't an immediate change in me? Some of you who have been baptized at Active in the last year, you got baptized and then you woke up on a Monday morning and you realized that you still had all of the issues and all of the people around you you're like, wait, I got baptized on Sunday. Shouldn't they just disappear? Wouldn't that be great, right? You get baptized and every negative thing in your life goes away. But I'm a big believer in that when we choose to follow Jesus, those things don't go away. But what we get is the strength of God to face those things that we wish would go away. 
be around those people that maybe bring the worst out of us. And I think when we say that they bring the worst out of us, we're saying more about us than we are about them. Because maybe perhaps we need to get the worst out of us so that God can do the best in us and through us. This is hard. It's why I love the words of Paul that he writes in this letter called Ephesians to men and women like you and me. Listen to what he says when it gets hard. He says this in Ephesians 6, 13, after you have done everything to stand, after you've made all, this, all the decisions, all the choices, you showed up, you said yes, you're excited, you're ready to go. After you've done all of that, Paul says, stand firm then. After you've done everything you need to do, keep doing it. After you've made all the right decisions, keep making the right decisions. That's what obedience looks like. It's what following Jesus looks like. Keep choosing what is good because there you will find the power and the strength of God. The power and the strength to face the things that you're dealing with inside of your heart and inside of your mind. Keep showing up. Keep moving forward. Keep leaning in. Why? Because that's what hope does. And that's what people of hope do. Hope believes the best is always ahead. God, God's got this. And so I'm confident in him. Well, what is this, Mike? I don't know, but God's got it. Where are we going, Mike? I don't know, but God knows. That's not blind faith, friends. You know what that is? It's you going, you defeated the death that was supposed to be my death through my sin. You defeated that. And then you forgave me. And then you resurrected from the grave and you're offering me freedom. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. And when things don't make sense, I'm still in. When things can be a bit confusing, I'm leaning in. This is what Paul is writing to us and this is what Jesus is teaching us. Do you want this? Because God responds that I got you. And what we learn is that hope isn't just this thing on the outside of us. Hope is personal. Trusting in God. Trusting in God is believing that what Jesus said about himself and what Jesus did, both of those things are true. But hope, hope is believing that those things that Jesus has done and Jesus has said is true for me and true for you. That it isn't just this thing outside of us. That's called religion. It's this thing that is within us. That's called relationship with God. Hope says, Jesus, what's true of you is now true of me because I chose to give my life to you. Jesus, what's true of you is now true of me because I decided to trust in you. Jesus, what's true of you is now true of me because I'm placing my confidence in you. So, man laying there for 38 years. Do you want hope? You want to get well? You want to be healed? So, active church attender who's been here for maybe a few minutes or maybe a few months or maybe a few years? Do you want to get well? Do you want hope? Do you want to be healed? 
seems like it would be easy for us to go, yes, of course. But remember, just because it's obvious doesn't necessarily mean that we'll say yes. But know this, that hope is found in our willingness to trust God. So what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? Let me finish the story. Jesus asks that all important question. Do you want to get healed? And then the man responds with all of the reasons why he's not healed. And and, and I think what I love about this story, this is probably my favorite part of this story, is that in that moment, I think Jesus just goes, all right, we're all done. Dads, have you ever been there with your kids? Moms, have you ever been there with your kids, right? Where you just go, "Uh uh-uh. I'm the king or I'm the queen. This is my castle and you are a peasant and you need to listen to me, right? Like, like there are moments, right, as parents. And if you're not a parent, there are moments where you've seen other parents or maybe it's a niece or a nephew or maybe it's a younger sibling where you're finally like, I could take you and I could break you. So you better respect me, right? Like I think that there are moments where like, hey, we're drawing lines here. You can no longer go that far. You can no longer keep running. You can no longer turn away from me. I'm I'm a big, I hold deep conviction that God has given us all sorts of freedom. But I also believe that God can do whatever he wants within that freedom. And I look at this moment and this guy gives him this elongated answer. Well, Jesus, technically, here's here's the problem. And Jesus, I think, goes, time out, shut your mouth. (laughs) And he responds this way. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk, because it's time. Enough is enough. You don't need to get in the water because the water's being stirred by a hot spring. It's not an angel of the Lord, but because God is a creative God, some people have found healing when they got into the water, but you don't need the water, you need me. And so stop giving me your excuses and stop deflecting the conversation and stop talking about how hard it's going to be. Sure, it's going to be hard, but you have almighty God with you. And so it's been 38 years. Get your mat, fold it up and let's walk. Get your mat tidy it up and let's go home. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Is your confidence in me? Get up and walk. Accept the invitation of hope. And we read in verse nine, it's as if this man goes, oh, okay. At once, the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. And so can you. And I get that you haven't done 
the courageous thing in a really long time. And just like this man, you might get up and you might feel the shakiness in your legs. Your mind might tell you that you can't do it. Your heart might say that you don't have the strength to do it. But Almighty God, through the words of Jesus, says, get up and receive the hope that I'm inviting you into. You can live with hope and everything can be falling apart. You can live with hope and everything could be in chaos. You can live with hope because Jesus is Lord. And he invites you to lean in and be confident and find certainty. And it's found in your yes to the hope that he's inviting you into. So, do you want hope? The answer is up to you. A couple of questions to consider. We'll post these on our social media. You can take a photo of them, but a couple of questions for you to get your mind going after this message. But before we get there, don't miss next week because we're going to talk about how you and I can live with hope when everything around us feels like it's hopeless. Here's those questions. First one. What are you willing to do about the thing that you've been afraid to address? What are you willing to do about the thing that you've been afraid to address? We can't talk about it. Don't, don't bring it up. That, that's disrespectful. I'm not, I'm not sharing that with you. What are you willing to do with that now? Second question. Who will you invite into the next step so that you aren't doing this alone because your faith needs friends? It is not up to you to figure it out by yourself. Third question. When will you get started so that you can experience hope today? And you get to determine the timeline. And my hope for you is that the timeline begins now. I want to pray some words over you. And then we're going to sing. If you're able, would you stand to your feet? And I want to invite you as I pray, if you would just place your hands out in front of you. As a way of saying, I want to receive this from God. I, I want to have a posture of trust and surrender to God. I want to say yes to what it is that he's inviting me to say yes to. And so if you're able, if you're comfortable, I want to invite you to place your hands out in front of you and I want to pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, as we consider what it is that we have in our lives that we haven't addressed, we haven't talked about, that we are more comfortable staying sick in rather than getting healthy, God, would you speak to that today? May we not walk out of here confused, wondering what it might be, but maybe walk out of here going, what will I do about this? And who will I invite into this? And how will I talk to God about this? And what steps will I take next? God, I pray for my friends that are here in the room and watching online that they would not be comfortable being sick that they would not be comfortable staying in what's comfortable, but that they would experience the life-giving 
life-changing, life-altering love and power and forgiveness and strength and courage of Almighty God that's found in the person and in the work of Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all of this. And together we say amen and amen 